Live from the Be Unique studios in the thriving metropolis of Merritt Island, Florida, it's Ask Mary, where she'll try to answer your questions. And remember, if she doesn't know the answer, she'll make them up. And now, here's Mary. Good evening, everybody. That's right. It's the evening, and we are just asking Mary in the evening. We have changed our time. We have changed our uh, area. We have changed our, our where we're going to be, and we are now on the evening time of 9 o'clock. That's prime 9 o'clock time, every baby. Wednesday. Prime time. I know. We are prime time. Mary, good evening. How are you? I'm fabulous. Would you have it any other way? No, no, we can never, ever have it any other way. And, you know, this is normally the moment or the, the time when I ask you, you know, what, what's going on with being unique? But I got two words for you. I got two words for what? you, and it does connect to being unique. Film festival. When we last left off, Man, we were headed off to a film let festival. Let's talk film festival. Well, briefly, because I think that Jennifer needs to be the person you include in your film festival conversation just simply right. because right. She's, it's her domain. That's, that's what she does, and she does it so well. In fact, yes. she created a film. That, uh, Jennifer Franklin and Jennifer's husband, Bob, created a five-minute film called Daisy. And it was, I don't remember, you know, 36-hour film, 24-hour film, 48-hour film? 48-hour films. For... For Fusion Fest? Right. 48 hours. It was, you know, how many? It's 48 hours. 48 hours. And what that means is, what that means for those who don't know, because I didn't know until I worked on one with Jennifer, is hour one, you meet the person that you're, or you get the topic to your, your script or whatever. Mm-hmm. And hour 48, you turn in a completed film. That's right. And anybody who's ever worked on any kind of film knows that's not easy. No, it isn't. And, I, but, and I'm with you there. Yep. But they worked on this film called Daisy, like the flower, and it has won. Uh, and this is why I say we need Jennifer. I, I want to say eight awards. I know it, dep- it depends on, on what you consider an award. We're, we're counting everything. If it's been accepted into a film festival, that's an award. If it becomes a yes, finalist, that's another award. If it wins, that's another award. But yes. what Jennifer's done is not, she's not counted all of those steps. I, I'd be shouting from the rooftop for every single one of those promotions. <laughs> But I, I do know that Daisy was a finalist and has been uh, uh, in the top five of at least seven, if not eight, maybe nine by now. But I know that Daisy won the best documentary, not short documentary, not documentary under 10 minutes, the best documentary at Indie Film Festivals. Or it might be no, Indie Filmopolis. And recently, we were awarded the best documentary at um, Vesuvius Film Festivals in Italy. 
And all the way it is. Wow. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, there was another one where we were in the U.K., and it, mm. I think it made uh, top five. But we won down in Miami, and we were there for this one. Uh, the film won the Sybil uh, G. Award for Best Lifetime Documentary. Wow. And Best Lifetime. And no. we are, our production team met this morning, a very small portion of the team, uh, right. to discuss another film that we're going to be working on. And uh, we're constantly looking for another, you know, other short scripts that we can work with, right. other or script writers on. And I'm in the process of a 20-minute script to become a 5- to 10-minute script. Right. And, and they want to say, I mean... While I'm selling ads, <laughs> editing stories, writing stories, doing interviews... <clears throat> They want to say, though, I mean, they want to say that probably the best way Tony, to do you a short sound film. like you're underwater. They want to say the best way to do a short film is to be like five to, five to eight minutes. That's what they want to say. Are you hearing me okay? Is there, is there a problem with the uh, yeah. extension? Oh, okay. Well, I hear you now. Okay, great, great, great. Okay. All right. Um, but they say... They say they want to do. You want to do a five to eight minute film if you're going to be submitting a short film. Is that correct? Uh oh. Are you moving around? Because I'm not. No, I'm. I'm. I'm not moving around. I'm, I'm not hearing you. Are you hearing me now? Do you hear me now? I heard something about five to eight minutes. All right. What about now? That's not good. Me. That sounds real good. Don't okay, move. okay. Do you hear me now? Are you, are you hearing me now? I We're can hear you now. Difficulties. How about now? You hear me now? I, I don't I don't get it because I'm I'm hearing you very sketchily. It's on my end. Hold on a second. Okay, can you hear me? I do not hear you. Oh, Tony. Hello, Tony. Well, I'm not hearing you. Because we may be doing this message, this show, in a very unique way. As would be a good thing for be unique, I suppose. Really weird. Oh, let's see what happens here. I tried this. All right, Tony. Um, kind of hearing you, not hearing you. Okay. Oh. Tony, can you hear me? <clears throat> All right. I'm going to call back into the show. Um, do you hear me now? 
Hello? Hello, do you hear me? Okay, well, we seem to have lost connection with Mary, but that's okay because I know she will be calling back. So anytime, you know, these things happen, we have a podcast, we've got a blog, and there she is. Yep. All right. Hey, yeah, Mary, I had do you hear to, me now? I had to call back in. I don't know if it was my uh, earbuds or my cell phone, but I think it's working now. All right, so you hear me now, right? Oh, yeah, you sound real good now. I, th- I think it was my earbuds were low on battery. Oh, so that was the culprit. Yeah, leave it to me, beaver. Oh, so have you got a question for me tonight? And he's gone again. Oh, Tony Baloney. We're going to do this by text. Let's see. Tony, 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 Tony. Can you hear me? Hello? Okay. I think we're back. All right. I hear you. I was was afraid we might have to do this by text message. No, 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 no. We are back. We are back. Do you have any issues on your end, too? Okay. I I do have a question for you. Okay. Okay. All right. So it's it's rather serious. Oh boy. Yep. So my my least favorite kind. <laughs> well, this is from Terry from Los Angeles, and Terry wants to know. She says, "My friend's ex died recently, and she seems more upset than I think she'd be after they've been apart so long." Now, I don't know what to say to her because I don't understand how she can still be upset after their divorce. It was a long time ago. Any advice? Yeah. You know, that's that's really interesting because I'm in a similar situation, Terry. My ex recently died. And Oh, thank you, but it's 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 okay. Um yeah, you know, I think every ex dreams of the day that their ex dies, and then when the reality hits, it's like, oh, man, I cared more than I thought I did. Um, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say that my ex was abusive because I know my son, well, one son, well, no, he knows, but he, he's in denial right now. Um, but both of my kids, they know that their dad was emotionally abusive. And uh, he was a good dad. He was a great husband for five years. And right. then he stopped being a great husband. Now, I was married to him for 25 years. And I've been divorced from him for 23 years. Okay. And no, I did not get married when I was two years old. But um, <laughs> so weird when I'm only 33 years old now. Jeez. Yeah, no, I, 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 I married him when I was 18. I'm now 67. Um, when I, 
and, and people will tell you that the, you know, hatred is the opposite of love, but it's not. The opposite of love is uh, indifference. I started to say delusional, but uh, no. <laughs> sometimes it can be delusional. But no, delusional it's indifferent. When you're married, right? No, I'm kidding. Oh God, yeah. But no, I I married him when I was 18. I had been out of high school for six months when I got married. I uh, didn't find out for many many years that my father didn't like him, did not want me to marry him. Um. Don't know why. Well, my mother said that, you know, we would have told you, but you wouldn't have listened. They're probably right. And I thought, well, you know, if you'd have told me, then at least I could have said, geez, my dad told me not to marry him. I was married to him for 25 years. And the day that I made up my mind to leave him, I was very angry. And then I moved through anger with the help of Aretha Franklin and karaoke and ladies night out. But um, I, I just, I got through it. And then I met someone fabulously wonderful. And I'll be honest, he was not always fabulously wonderful. And if I'd met my current husband on the street, probably would have walked on by. I, I probably wouldn't have given him a second notice. But because of the way I met him, we developed a relationship and a friendship before we got involved in a romantic relationship. Right. And, and we've, been, we've been best friends for so many years. And right. there are times that I still want to wring his little scrawny neck. But there well, are that's times part that, of marriage, though. <laughs> yeah, it is, you know. And so we... Um, We've been together now since 2000, and I, I've never looked back. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, in Great. fact, my ex's current widow uh, came to me while we were at a family event, and she walked up to me, and she said, do you want him back? I'm like, no, honey. He is your problem now. And I didn't I, – I wasn't being a smartass. I was just being right. truthful. But – I didn't I didn't care if the man lived or died. I didn't care what he did. I got to that point of indifference. He he his existence on earth had nothing to do with me like any total stranger. In my world he was someone I never knew. Uh, was was still, that something you had to do, though? Was that something you had to do within yourself to make a mental break? No, no. To make a mental break, I pierced my navel and cut my hair. <laughs> Two things that he would have frowned on deeply. Um, I, I did all the things that he would have disapproved of. Um, in fact... The man but told that, me one time. Was something you wanted to do, though? Not until I did it. I didn't know that I wanted to. It was just one of those spur of the moment. Oh, there's a piercing shop. I should go get my belly button pierced. Um, I've never pierced my ears. Not particularly. I, I don't have a reason for it. I just haven't done it. I was, I was going to ask, is there a reason you haven't pierced your ears? 
Uh, well, there is. And, you know, and, and it's, it's so <laughs> Of course there petty. is. Why wouldn't there be? It has nothing to do with him. Um, okay. My sis, I have three sisters, and two of them have all, often bullied me. And right. I bet if they're listening tonight, they, are, they know who they are. Um, and if they don't know who they are, they can ask around. But everybody knows the baby sister didn't bully anybody much. But no, my point is um, they kept pushing and pushing and, and telling me I needed to pierce my ears. Well, I didn't see why I needed to. I might have wanted to. I didn't really want to. And they, they started teasing me that I was afraid that, you know, it doesn't hurt. Don't be a baby. Don't be so stupid. And on and on and on. And then I kind of in my my passive-aggressive, bull-mule-headed, stubborn way of being an Aquarius said, I will never Ever, ever, forever, never pierce my ears <laughs> because you want me to. You wanted me to, that's right. So, you know, to prove that I was stronger than my sisters, I said, I'll never pierce my ears. Um, I don't, I mean, I have worn earrings. I've worn the clip-on mm-hmm. kind, and they pinch like hell, but... It's okay. When I was in that frame of mind, I enjoyed wearing them. I'm no longer in that frame of mind. I've I've taken on a whole new approach to um, aesthetics and and beauty. And I'm more of a granola type hippie, natural mother nature gave me what I got. Y'all can like it or not. It's, you know, I don't care. But, um, I, when I was, I was in Atlanta when I got my navel pierced. This was before I had met Curtis, but I wasn't with him then. I, I, I'd been out of dates. We'd spent a couple of weekends together, but I was not with him at the time. And um, I passed this little piercing tattoo shop, and I said, I'll never pierce my ears, but I never said I wouldn't pierce my belly button. So I went in and pierced my navel, and good grief, that hurt. Oh, my God, did it hurt. But I really enjoyed it. I no longer have let it grow over um, other reasons. Just, you know, it was a fad. It was a thing. But I got my hair cut. Now, I was with Curtis when I got my hair cut. And, and this is one of the reasons that I just adore Curtis as a human being. My ex-husband forbade me to cut my hair. He absolutely yeah. forbade it. And I was dumb enough to believe that he had that power over me. So when... Curtis and I were still fairly new in our relationship. We were living together, and I decided to get my hair cut. And so I picked right. out six different hairstyles from all. Now, bear in mind, Tony, my hair was down to my knees. And oh, my goodness. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. My hair was down to my knees. I'm 5'10". Wow. Uh, so I cut off about three feet of hair. And 
um, well, no, probably probably about two feet actually. Twenty, I think it was twenty inches. By the time they cleaned it up a little bit, but um, I cut my hair, and I, I remember going to to Curtis saying, "I'm going to get my hair cut. Which one of these hairstyles do you think would look good on me?" Or no, I think I said, "Which way do you think I should cut it?" Because I had been conditioned for 25 years that the man in my life would make that choice for me. Right. And he, he looked at me, and, I mean, he looked me deep into my soul. And he said, I, I, I don't have a say in this. This is your hair. And if I did have a say in it, I wouldn't want to tell you. He said, you make that your own mind what you want to do. That is That's such a what? change, though, from where you were coming from. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I was like, whoo, Katie, bar the door. Mary's on the loose. But um, Curtis is actually the one who suggested that I start doing what they call fashion dyes. Anybody who knows mm-hmm. me knows that my hair is quite often a very unique color. Right now it's kind of a – it's not pastel, but it's not bright, vivid teal. I've had blue hair, green hair, pink hair. I've had We've got pictorial and, evidence of that, Mary. Yes, you do. I've yes, had my do. hair half blonde and half pink. And I even looked like a, a I don't know, Mardi Gras boa one day. <laughs> I had I had green, blue, yellow, red, orange, every color I could find. And I had a, a you know a stylist dye my hair for me. I now dye my own hair whenever I feel like it because it's cheaper and I just like doing it myself. And you know that way, if it's messed up, it doesn't matter. It doesn't take as long. But you know um, what it sounds like, though, Mary. It, it, Mary, it really does. It sounds like you had a lot of this pent up frustration and a lot of anger of, of okay. what you and who you wanted to be. Well, yeah, because you know my role at Be Unique. One, one of my roles is you are editor. the editor and president. Yeah, I'm also a writer. And exactly. My ex told me that writing was a nice hobby, but I shouldn't spend too much time on it. It's kind now, of like uh, we'll put it on the fridge and look at it later. Yeah, yeah. Let's oh, look what the little child has done here. But mm-hmm. I've made good money as a writer. Right now, I'm making zero because Be Unique is a nonprofit, and we're not paying our writers yet, as you well know. Um, we're working toward that as hard as we can. It's there's a lot to be done to manage a nonprofit, and there are a lot of expenses that we find along the way that we don't even know until we. Somebody says, oh, well, you know, you want to submit to film festivals? Well, you should start paying for the film festivals. Don't just stick to the free ones. Right. And, right. you know, you want to go to a film festival? Guess what? It's going to cost you money. And yes, the organization is. can't pay for this, so this comes out of our pocket. You know, we want to distribute Be Unique Brevard, 1,500 copies all around the county. Jennifer and I use our time and our gas money to make this possible. And now gas you money know, is no joke. You know, though, that the, the artists and the writers and the contributors to Be Unique 
you know from what they're doing at the moment by not being paid is that they love what they're doing and they love who they're contributing to. Yes, yes. And that's the kind of mentality that Be Unique's been fostering all this time. And, and we actually have a young man who he left Orlando, um, and, and we are worldwide, but he left and started working in Hollywood, and he got super right. busy out there and quit donating any time or effort to be unique. And he's now back in Florida, not yet in Orlando, oh. but he's in Florida. And he said, oh, you know him, Tyrell. He oh, interviewed yes, you at the yes, Southeastern Film Festival. That's right. When when your film won an award. But right. He, I remember him very well. Yeah. And he's, oh, my gosh, he's come a long, long way from there. But he oh, um, he's back in Florida now, and he called me yesterday. He said, can I come back? I'm like, of course you can. <laughs> so he's going to come back and, and be working with us again. But that, that doesn't answer Terry's question. I guess I, I do the segue thing a lot, folks. I I would oh, apologize, but, but, you know, that would be like apologizing for breathing. You know, I, <laughs> it is who I am. It's what I do. I, I honestly can't help it. But you need to know some of the background sometimes to have this yeah. story. And you, people, I can't tell you, Tony, how many people have reached out to me from my high school days? And they look at me on Facebook and say, Mary, you have come a long way from that little girl I used to know. Congratulations, you got away. Well, People that know. volumes about you. Yeah. People know what I went through but, even before I knew what I was going through. And that's the way of psychological abuse. You know, when you're living with a narcissist, you don't always know that you're being manipulated. And when you're being manipulated, you you get caught up and you become a codependent sometimes. And you don't know how to live without that in your life. But I made a clean break and I got away from that that abusive relationship. And it was so strange to be in a truly healthy relationship that didn't require a lot of walking on eggshells. Now, well, it was strange, marriage, Mary, because that's all you knew, though. That is all I knew. Now, my marriage right. to Curtis has not always been perfect. We spent, uh, I don't know, maybe six months in marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. And it, it worked. It, it stuck. And, you know, we, we'd had times, we'd had, you know, low spots in our relationship where we'd say, well, you know, we could go to a counselor, but all they're going to do is make us talk. Well, it's true. They do expect you to talk. And we always said, well, we're intelligent. We know how to talk. But we didn't know how to talk to each other, with each other. We talked at each other. And we didn't realize the value of playfulness, of taking a break, of Taking, uh, going out on a, a couple of dates, you, you think in terms of, well, I'm going on a date because I've met this new person and I want to get to know them. But you need to go on these 
romantic dates with your spouse or romantic partner from time to time. Maybe not every Friday night. It doesn't have to be rigid. And I know a lot of people, oh, it's Friday night's our date night. We've been married for 10 years and we go out every Friday night. Well, that becomes routine too. And you don't want routine in your marriage because that is, it's a... It's a bad thing. I can't think of the word I'm thinking of. But anyway, it's, you know, if you can be spontaneous, and and Curtis thinks it's so funny because it's such a simple little thing that I do. You know how people like to have taco Tuesdays? Well, we we have taco Wednesdays or taco Mondays or, (laughs) you know, whatever day of the week I happen to think, oh, we should have tacos. That's we should we have, have tacos, tacos today. <laughs> and uh, tonight was spaghetti night. But um, he, you know, he just thinks it's so funny. He thinks it's like a, a form of rebellion on my part to not have tacos on Tuesday. It's not a form of rebellion. It's just, just that I don't think about it on Tuesday. Sometimes I do. We'll have taco salad on Tuesday. And he goes, oh, my. This, you know, we better mark this day on the calendar. We're having tacos on Tuesday. We haven't had tacos now in six months because of his very strict diet. And we will introduce that back after he has his surgery later on this month. But my, mm. I, I veered away from Terry's question. Well, let me um, ask you about Terry for a minute. Um, yeah. You know, getting married is such a substantial and such a life-changing decision. Do you think that her friend is still really kind of broken up by this death? Because, I mean, that was a momentous, a momentous occasion in her life and taking such a big step. And obviously at the time, that person was going to be the person she was going to spend the rest of her life with. Well, that's so, what I mean, she that's thought. hard to get over. Well, like I said, I've been through this fairly recently, and I can I can speak from experience. Okay. When I got the phone call from my youngest son, it was he was I don't know it's he about eleven o'clock in the morning, and it's um, very unusual for him to call me during work day work hours. So when I saw it was from him, I'm like, ooh. And I, I, you know, he said, Mom, Dad died last night. And it felt like a mule had kicked me. Now, I've never been kicked by a mule. I don't know what it feels like. But it was a visceral gut punch. And it it surprised me that I cared. But I cared because I had shared 25 years of my life with this man. And I cared because he was the father to my children. Yes. And the grandfather to my grandson. So... Anytime you share a life with anybody, no matter what it is, uh, could be a coworker. In fact, Curtis, um, 
let's see, he probably worked that job no more than three or four years. He had a job. Um, he was a computer IT manager, I guess, for a local company in, in Florida. And there was a woman that it was interesting. They called each other their work spouse. So not that it was a big deal. I mean, she was an older woman, but he, she's who he turned to if he needed something. She'd bring him snacks or she'd turn to him if she needed something. So they became known as a work couple. And, um, you know, I, I, I joke that Jennifer is my work wife and I'm her work wife. But um, in in a way we are. But um, we had moved. We'd left, let's see, I think Curtis left that job probably five or six years. And we had moved to South Carolina. And he found out that she was dead. Um and he just, he broke down in tears. And he said, I have to go to her funeral. I said, of course you do. I can't, can't imagine that you would not. She died of a massive heart attack, just suddenly died. So, um, and that's what happened with my ex. He was in his recliner and fell asleep and never woke up. I'm like, what a way to go. But, you know, you mentioned your uh, children. You, you you mentioned your children, and he is the father of your children. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that is a substantial part of your life, and there's no reason in the world why you wouldn't feel something above. Well, I felt a little. I felt a little gypped because they had a. Um, I don't even know if they've had it yet or not, but they said they were going to have a small family service. And I was not invited. And that's okay. I'm okay with it. But, I mean, I sat there and I shared. You're okay with that? You're okay with that? Yeah, I am. Um, I shared tears with both of my sons. And... um, we haven't had the time to share memories, which is something that I would like to do, you know, be able to say right. I remember when, you know, and, and one day we will. It just hasn't happened yet. But um, back to, to Terry's original question, everybody grieves differently. Everybody grieves in their own way. And your friend may be grieving um, because she has shared this life with this person. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the grief is there because they say if, if you don't grieve over someone, you didn't, you truly never cared for them. And, you know, a lot of grief means a lot of love. Right. So it's like... Yeah, I've been away from an abusive relationship for 23 years. Yeah. And you'd think, you would think that I would just be, okay, he's dead, so what? But I'm not. And, and here is another example of why I have a healthy relationship with Curtis. 
Right. I, I told him, I told him, um, you know, that the first day that we heard the news, I said, uh, Curtis, I, I don't know why, but I feel like maybe I should go cry. I feel like I've been kicked in the belly and I, I just, I didn't think I would care this much that he's dead. And Mary, just, let me you know, ask you this. Can I ask you this? Mm-hmm. You loved him, right? Yeah. Well, how do you turn off that? Okay. Well, let, let me let me get back to what Curtis said. Okay. He said, okay. I, I would be concerned if you didn't care. Mm, if you didn't have okay. any feeling over this, I would be really worried about you. But it's not that I turned off the love. I did not know this until I fell in love with Curtis, that I had never been in love with my first husband. I did love him. I loved him a lot. I was never crazy gaga over him. I, was, I, I would never tell you that I adored him. I adore Curtis. I still get schoolgirl goosebumps when I think of him at times. I, I can, <laughs> a memory will hit me, and I'll just break out giggling. Um, Curtis makes me laugh, where my ex mostly made me cry. But what happened with our my my first husband, my first marriage? I did I did not get pregnant for five years by choice. I, it was. No, I was going to ask choice. you that. Um, yeah. we just. We talked it over. We decided that, I mean, I was 18, 18. I didn't want to have a baby at 18. Now, most of my sisters said as long as I've been married uh, one year, no, nine months and one day, I can get pregnant anytime. You know, they wanted to be, uh, they didn't want any impropriety, but they, (laughs) most of my sisters got pregnant immediately after getting married. And most of my brother's wives did. I had one sister-in-law who was not able to conceive easily. But she did, uh, eventually. Um, But I knew that my family genetics probably predisposed me to an easy pregnancy, an easy conception. So we used birth control for the first five years. I stopped using birth control you got the you know the drugs out of my system and then um boom i was pregnant within no no effort at all and while i was pregnant the man absolutely positively adored me while i had a baby he was just the most he was the picture perfect doting father and husband when my child was probably well, let's see. He was about two. I noticed things started changing in the relationship. Right. And by the time he was three and a half, I'd had another baby. He only wanted the one son. He didn't want two. Um, now, he had a, a good relationship with both of his sons toward the end. But while they were younger, he started feeling that he was losing his grip on me. I was... He was no longer my whole world. These children were my whole world. And that didn't work for him. Uh, We started not getting along. We started 
I, I don't want to get into all the ways my marriage is dysfunctional, but I will say that when I called my siblings to tell them that I had left him, and it was my choice right. to walk out of the house, um, three of them, three of seven siblings, said, in essence, it's about damn time. They saw things I didn't. They knew things I didn't. My oldest son was out at sea, and I had been told by the Navy not to tell them any disturbing news while they're deployed. There's nothing they can do about it. Don't tell them if Grandma's dead. But um, the younger one, when I told him, I'm leaving your dad, he said, can I come too? Because I do not want to stay here with him without you. So over the years, I learned that I had been abused, and I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that I became increasingly unhappy. When the oldest one went into the Navy, that was when something, well, there were two times that something snapped. He had sinus surgery, and the the boys even, they were much, much younger. They asked me, did the doctor do something that affected their dad's brain at that point because he started acting different. Couldn't put her finger on it. But then when the oldest one went out, when he joined the Navy, he was out of the house, and we knew he wasn't ever coming back home. We just, um, you know, he, he made the Navy his life. It was his career. He retired from it before he, I think he was just barely 40 when he retired. And, um, you know, he came home for visits, but he never came home to live. My ex started obsessing over the empty nest syndrome. What are we going to do? It won't be long before Matt's out of the house, too. Well, you know, if, if we had not gotten a divorce, Matt would have been the kind of kid that probably would have stayed. We didn't have a basement, but he would have been in our basement for you know, for the rest of his life. He was very right. content to, to to not go pursuing relationships. I mean, he's, he's had romantic interests, but they always broke his heart. So he, at some point, he's now 40, um, but at some point he just decided it's not worth it. I don't want to bother with it. And tonight we had a conversation, and he said, you know, Mom, I just, I would rather be by myself than to be with people. I don't want to answer their questions about how I feel. Or, you know, how do you feel since your dad died? You know, he doesn't want to talk about it. And I don't want to push it. I'll wait until he's ready to talk about it. And one day he will. He'll call me up and we'll have a long conversation. And the other one, I don't know, he might and he might not. You know, it's it's strange. Um. Well, how young were they when they realized that things weren't right with mom and dad? I'm not sure. Um, Matt was 19 when I left his dad. And he told me that he had noticed the changes almost immediately when his brother went out, went, went, you know, went into the military. It was like as soon and Richard was, he was uh, 
18, you know, he was actually 17 years old when he joined the Navy. He joined their delayed entry program. So it was kind of like ROTC every weekend for him. And right. um, he wanted to be a part of the Navy as quickly as possible. And he joined, He, you know, he went off to boot camp 10 days after he graduated from high school. And, um, I mean, that should have been a sign for me right there. He didn't want to spend his summer partying. He didn't want to spend his summer doing anything but going through basic training. And his dad started immediately freaking out over what are we going to do? Our nest is going to be empty. I think it's because he knew we had very little in common. When I, by that point in time, I'd already started, um, I started not allowing him to influence my decisions. I didn't attend college until I was in my 30s. Did he forbid college? college? Huh? Did he not want you to go to college? Oh, no, he did not. Um, He didn't forbid it, though. He he did not want me to go when I was 18, and he whined and cried and wheedled and cajoled and manipulated me until I thought it was my idea to not go to college. I had my path laid out for me. And he decided, nope, she's going to do it my way. And I did for a long, long time. But when I, when I hit 30, I got so restless. And I just, I told him I wanted to go to college. Um, but I, I knew also that I had to manage the situation. I had to manage his expectations. And when you are a codependent, of a manipulative person, you learn to manipulate too. Right. And so I I manipulated the situation so that he thought it was his idea. And I went to one class that was supposed to be an artsy, craftsy kind of class. And it was. There was a lot of hands-on art. But it was a class that was, it was like a third level, third year class designed for art teachers who already, you know, degreed, certified art teachers. And I had no idea. But I loved it. I loved it because it was a creative class, and I loved it because it challenged me in ways I'd never considered. And so he thought that when I finished that class, that would be it, that I would just, you know, go, okay, okay, I've been to college. I don't need to do anything else. He was wrong. And so... Um, when I said, I'm going to take another class or two next semester, he said, I'm not paying for it. If you want to go to class, you got to pay for it. And I was working full time. Right. So what I did is I applied for scholarships, and I got one. <laughs> and it required me to teach literacy to adults. And... I went to school full-time. I went to work full-time. I tutored on Sundays. And I tutored in the afternoons between, you know, there were like two hours between work and school, and I could walk from my job over to the school campus. So I put myself through college on an academic scholarship, 
he got so jealous and so angry that I could, I was doing this on my own without him. So he just went kind of crazy. But um, mm. in fact, he, he got so controlling that he wanted to um, have all of our study sessions, because I, I had a little lively group of Spanish students who I tutored them because I was just really good at Spanish. And so he said, why don't you bring your Spanish group over here and I'll cook for all of you. Well, what college kid doesn't want free meals? It's true. Um, I mean, I was in my 30s. They were in their, well, no, I must have been in my 40s, late, early, late 30s, early 40s, because these, these guys were my kids' age. You know, they were 19, 20 years old. Right. And um, when he found out that they weren't all girls, he lost it in a very controlled way. But um, well, there was a lot it, going on there. Oh, Jude, I, I've only scratched the surface here. And there was a lot going back on. to the original yeah. question of what do you tell your friend who is grieving more than you think she should? Right, right, right. Basically, you say, I am here for you. If you want to talk. Now, it also makes a difference if Terry knew her friend's husband. You know, does, is there any history there? Because right. what what I did, and, you know, it was, just, it was really strange because I'm living six hours away from where my kid's dad is, and they drove three hours from Jacksonville to his house, and they're managing all the funeral arrangements with their stepmom. And... Right. They're, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And I know that because it was such a sudden death, they had no idea who to call or what to do. And so I told them, I said, I'll make a few phone calls and I'll tell people, you know. I only had to make one phone call to my oldest sister. She took care of the family. That was quick and easy. Um, it was. And then, you know, there were people that... He and I had known in common together, and I just reached out to them, and I said, just FYI, um, this is what's happened. I thought you'd want to know, and they were very grateful, but they also were very respectful of the um, of the divorce, and they were kind of like, well, tell the boys, that, you know, they've got my condolences. They didn't know how to talk to me. But then there were some who knew um, that it would probably affect me as well. And so they would just say, hey, I heard about your ex, and I just wanted to extend my condolences to you and the boys. So if Terry's friend has children, that's another part of it. Um, right, absolutely. And, and I, I don't know how long this grief session has lasted, you know, if it was a week, two weeks, six months, five years, whatever. But you cannot erase a historical moment from your life. Marriage is yeah. Yeah. where the history starts. And you asked right. earlier, how, how do you stop loving someone? 
I never saw it. You nailed it there, Mary. Mary, you nailed it there because I think Terry doesn't have that extra perspective of being in love or at least loving that person. Well, you don't stop loving someone because you get a divorce. Your degree of love may change. I mean, Tony, I love you. I love Elisa. I love Jennifer. I love everybody who works with Be Unique. But I love my best friends more. I mean, I have best, uh, I have a female best friend, and then I have Curtis. You know, he's like my bestest best friend. I call him my best <laughs> husband because he's like my husband and my best friend. But, you know, I have family that I love. And I have right. some family that I, honest to God, love more than others. Um, Don't we all? I have... I have nieces and nephews that if I see them, they might nod politely and say, hey, Aunt Mary, how you doing? It's been a while. And then I have other nephews that will probably grab me, pick me up under the arms and try to swing me around and hope they don't dislocate a shoulder or something. But, I, you know. I hope not. <laughs> but, you know, it, we have different relationships with people. And those relationships change over time, whether it's for better or worse or good or bad. In my situation, the, the, the narcissism and the paranoia really helped um, form the way the love was. The, the psychological abuse, once I got out of that situation, I looked back on it and I thought, wow, how do you stay married to somebody for 25 years when they're emotionally beating you up? When, you know, they, there are so many things that I could say about my marriage to the man, but still, because I never stopped loving him, it felt like a gut punch. Right. my way of managing it because I was, it wasn't that I was unwelcome at that time in their life. I wasn't overly welcome, partly, and, and this is something else that Curtis pointed out to me. My oldest son was, and always will, be protecting me. Um, when I divorced their dad, his brothers felt like I had divorced them and they just cut off all ties. They wanted nothing to do with me. So right. when when Richard found out that his two uncles were coming to you know, to the town, he immediately put up his protect mom guards. And and he knew that the best thing for me was just to stay away. The boys are going to have a a personal separate ceremony later and scattered right. ashes. But um, if you've ever truly loved someone, you don't unlove them. Your your love either grows stronger or it grows weaker over time. And mine happened to grow weaker. And right. I knew... I will, I will not get into this... Uh, the actual details of how I knew and what happened to precipitate right. my, my leaving him. But 
the day that or the night that I made up my mind to leave him, I knew without a doubt that the marriage had died. You know, you hear um, people say, till death do you part. Well, there are a lot of different deaths. That you can have a death. A, huh? That is true. You have a physical death where one person actually leaves their body. You know, they're gone. They're, they die. But you have a death of respect. You have a death of mutual support. You can have a death of spirit. And all of those things add up. And at some point you just go, this isn't working anymore. In fact, the young man that I was telling you about earlier that's come back to be unique after a couple of years absence. Right. right. Was talking, he was talking to us today. We met with him and he said, you know, I was working out in Hollywood and the whole time all I could think about was coming back to Florida. He said, because when I was here working with you guys, making no money, I felt more respected and loved than I ever did working out there making a good bit of money. He said, there were some jobs that I had I couldn't stand. And I said, you know why that is? That's, that's your soul. That's your spirit. Or if you want to say it's the universe giving you a message that you're in the wrong place. Right, right. And we discover that a lot of times and in a lot of things. Yeah. Whether it's a job, a relationship. Uh, I mean, think about it. You've got a dog, right? I do. Okay. If that dog growled at you every time you walked in the door, you're after a week, a month, a year, whatever, you'd think, I gotta get rid of this dog. This dog doesn't like me. Um, I have a cat that used to run and hide from certain people. And that told me right away that those people were not good people. So we have relationships with of all kinds of, of relationships with all kinds of people. And you just you get those feelings of this hurts to be around this person. No, I'm still on the show. Um, Curtis just came to check on me and blow me a kiss. So in our first, well, let me ask you this, Mary. In our last couple of minutes, what can you recommend to Terry to be able to say to her friend to console her during this time, even though she doesn't understand the um, over... The dynamic. Yeah, she doesn't understand the dynamic, Correct. You know, Terry doesn't have to understand because it's not her grief. It's not her loss. And her friend has suffered a loss, whether it's because she's shared time with her ex-spouse or if it's because this is her children's father. She has suffered a loss of a connection, and it is her um, her loss to deal with. And I think what Terry can do is just say, 
I am here for whatever you need. Mm-hmm. And if you know, and this is something that I told my kids. I am thinking, and this is something Terry can do throughout time, maybe for a while. I sent them the the day after I heard about their dad dying. I knew they were neck deep in details and stuff, and I sent them a text with a little heart on it, and I said, I am thinking of you. That's all I said. I didn't say, call me back, let me know something. Um, And the youngest one sent me a heart back. The oldest one didn't do anything, and that's okay. But what Perry needs to do, in my opinion, my recommendation, I'll put it like that. I I don't like to tell people what they need to do. my recommendation is that Terry reaches out to her friend just randomly and say, I am thinking of you today. Whether it's about the ex-husband's death or not, it doesn't matter. Just let that friend know that you're thinking of them. You don't need yeah. to say why you're thinking of them. You don't need to expect anything in return. And... um Give the friend space to grieve for as long as she needs to. You know, when my dad died, I did not grieve at all for eight years. Part of it was because my grandmother had died nine days before my father, and I had a toddler and a preschooler. I didn't have time to grieve. Then I also had my mom that was grieving for the loss of her mother and her husband. And I just didn't know what to do. Eight years to the day after my father died, I was taking a walk on my lunch break at work, and I broke down in total ugly crying. It was it was scary. But I cried for about three hours, then I was done. And every every loss that I've ever had, I've grieved differently because my relationship with each person is different. And, you know, if we go back to what you said originally, that was love. If Terry loves her friend, friend, she will do the same thing. She will give her friend time and space to heal and grieve in her own way, but she will not ignore her friend. She will, a lot of people don't say, hey, you've suffered a loss because they don't know how. If anybody comes to me and says, Mary, I heard that your ex has died. I'm so sorry. I say, thank you. That means a lot. Most people look at me and go, oh, you've been divorced for 23 years. I know your marriage wasn't great, so I don't know what to say. But, you know, we don't know why Terry's friend divorced her husband. We don't know if it was just a mutual parting of the ways or what happened. But a lot of divorced people remain friends after the divorce. My ex and I didn't because he didn't think that made sense. Well, I, I think I think you've answered that question for Terry. Okay, good. And um, we appreciate her 
asking the question, and we're appreciating her just asking, Mary, and we look forward to our next episode, which will be Wednesday night, 9 o'clock, same channel, same place, same area. It is Just Ask Mary. Mary, we want to thank you very much for your time, and we look forward to next week. Awesome. And maybe our uh, next question, maybe it won't be such a heavy-duty question. Let's but if it well, is, let's just hey, we'll wait and people, see. People can ask me questions and I will answer them, but it's my answer. You know, it's it's up to them to take take it and it, do it. It is your please. answer. <laughs> All right. Well, Mary, good night. All right, and Tony, everybody, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us this evening. And stay tuned for next Wednesday. That's our show for today. Please remember, if you have a question for Mary, email us at jamandbreadbeunique at gmail.com. That's jamandbreadbeunique at gmail.com.